In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. We prayed at the beginning of Holy Mass. O God, who have made this most sacred night radiant with the splendor of the true light, grant, we pray, that we who have known the mysteries of his light on earth may also delight in his gladness in heaven, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. It seems strange to be speaking of light when there is none outside. The keeping of a vigil classically for Christians, and by that I don't mean 30 years ago or even a thousand years ago, but a long time ago, meant that the morning mass, which was the only kind of mass that was ever permitted, because mass was always offered in the morning until the 1950s, facing east toward the rising sun until the 1960s, Yet on very special vigils, Mass could begin earlier in anticipation as long as it lasted until the rising of the sun. Easter, Ascension, Pentecost, added to that as well the Feast of Saints Peter and Paul, the Feast of St. Lawrence, and the Assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary. When you hear the word vigil, It means something different from what it did 1,800 years ago. When keeping vigil meant Mass started in the late evening and it continued until the morning. They were keeping vigil. Obviously, those who participated were not worth very much the next day. We can imagine it would have taken a great deal of effort and a a breakfast far bigger than coffee and donuts to sustain the practice. Also, I'm guessing that it was always the parochial vicar who was assigned to stay up all night. (laughs) Eventually, vigil masses became entirely morning events, happening in the morning the day before the anticipated feast. Now, in 1967, this all changed with the invention of Saturday evening mass. With it came the practice of vigils that don't keep vigil through the night. Currently, the prayers and readings for the vigil masses are unique and speak of the feast in the future tense, but those masses no longer uh, are any longer in duration than masses of the morning of the feast. One great exception in all of this ecclesiastical history is the Mass of Christmas at midnight. Because of the tradition that Christ actually was born at midnight. And so our prayers do not speak of a feast that will begin in the morning when the sun rises, but our prayers speak of this mystery already having happened in the middle of the night. And so, at this angel's mass, as the midnight mass is known, we celebrate this fantastic light that has broken through the darkness.
Listen to the sermon of St. Augustine with which the church began the liturgy of Christmas Eve, so about 18 hours ago. Awake, mankind. For your sake, God has become man. Awake, you who sleep, rise up from the dead, and Christ will enlighten you. I tell you again, for your sake, God became man. You would have suffered eternal death had he not been born in time. Never would you have been freed from sinful flesh had he not taken on himself the likeness of sinful flesh. You would have suffered everlasting unhappiness had it not been for this mercy. You would have never returned to this life had he not shared your death. You would have been lost if he had not hastened to your aid. You would have perished had he not come. You might ask, why does St. Augustine speak in such a tone on the eve of such a beautiful day? Because he knows why Christmas is worth celebrating. It would be only a mediocre fable if it were not true. And its truth only matters to the mediocre. On this holy day, I encourage you to pray for a special group of people. We all have our own prayer intentions that we bring with us. We know that the Mass is offered for a particular soul or for someone's intentions. There are those that deserve the special remembrance of the Christian people, especially Christians who are suffering persecution. We always pray for the Holy Father. We pray for our bishop. But there's one group of people, especially I want you to keep in your prayers. You might not think of them. It's those who are not afflicted. Those who do not experience the world as cold and dark. Those who don't know suffering. Or those who think that being a gift you already own is suffering. Pray for those whose lives are glory and light, success and prosperity, for whom Christmas is just icing on the cake. It's more likely that those who know no affliction of the soul don't think they need saving. Not necessarily talking about the materially rich, but those who are just simply content. Those for whom eternity does not concern them. Those who don't really feel the need for forgiveness. They might like Christmas, but for reasons different than we do. They, they like the story which proves just how absolutely out of touch they are. They seem to forget that this little one spelled suffering for his mother from the moment he was conceived. He meant the threat of death for everyone who knew him from the moment he was born. He was the reason his parents were exiled and why children who never knew him were murdered. 
there's nothing to simply like about Christmas. Pray for those who find this just simply heartwarming, the self-satisfied, those who are really oblivious to the suffering of others. They pray with full stomachs. They say prayers, but without yearning, without urgency. Their souls are drowning in delightfully warm water. It's these people that need your prayers especially. One day, hopefully without too much calamity, they will know that they need God. And so who it is is worth envy. Those with no delusions of self-sufficiency. Those who who, who see everything in the light of God. The angels who saw this mystery first and proclaimed its great message to shepherds. It's shepherds, it's earthly creatures who know toil, who hope and yearn, who repent. A good friend of mine, Father Jason Burchell, finished his first parish assignment at St. Agnes in Arlington this year, where I was a decade ago. He's now an active duty chaplain in the United States Navy, serving aboard an aircraft carrier, different from the one on which I was assigned in 1995. His aircraft carrier doesn't have any F-14s, but not much else has changed. He's surrounded by men whose average age is 19 and a half, who are totally aware of the fact that they need a priest because they need God. With one exception to these sailors and Marines, there is the type who is already so bitter that they don't believe in God anymore. And you need to pray for them as well. Because for them, this darkness has no light. They think they can't know anything in the darkness. They can't know anything without seeing it. They can't know anyone without being able to prove them. But they know plenty when everything is dark, when the electricity is out, when there's no light from moon or the stars. They know exactly that there's a dresser. They know exactly where the doorknob is. They know that there's a hallway. They don't need to see it. They don't need to kick it. They know it's there. An article last week in Catholic News Agency spoke of the sad reality of so many Catholics who leave the faith, especially in their late teenage years or maybe as young adults. It's not news. What caught people's attention was the study interviewed a good number of them and found out that they had already decided to leave the faith when they were 10 years old, 13 years old. Prevailing reason being that the faith seemed incompatible with science. And so we need to teach our young people to be curious, to ask their questions. We should even encourage them to be mischievous and to to ask their godparents, to ask mom and dad, to ask their grandparents why they believe why they believe St. John, why they believe the apostles, what they wrote. 
And for anyone we know who's young and doubtful or old and doubtful, we should give them permission to force someone to explain why this Christ and his church all make sense. We celebrate tonight an historical event. One yet that still people are willing to call into question that he even existed. As Christ said, John the Baptist came and you rejected him because he did not drink. The Son of Man came and you rejected him because you called him a drunkard. Some people we will never be able to answer because they seek not the truth. But those who seek the truth will know that faith requires reasonableness and science requires faith. That there is no scientific method without the Christian God. Discovery and exploration and growing knowledge is predicated on a God who is almighty and benevolent, who guarantees the consistency of the universe. And yet tonight we celebrate not just an historical event, but the entrance of the invisible God into the visible universe in the form of a baby. Stories like it have been told before, and they can be repeated as fables and myths. This history is repeated because it was written with the blood of apostles and martyrs. And why do we believe them? Because their Savior promised them suffering, persecution, poverty, and death. And not even a madman would believe that unless it were really true. And so tonight is the night 
for the poor and the suffering, for the afflicted, for those whose consciences trouble them, for those for whom eternity perplexes them, for those who know they need to be forgiven, for those who know they need saving to rejoice. As St. Augustine says, let us then joyfully celebrate the coming of our salvation and redemption. Let us celebrate the festive day on which he who is the great and eternal day came from the great and endless day of eternity into our own short day of time. Truth then has arisen from the earth. Christ, you said, I am the truth, was born of a virgin, and justice looked down from heaven. Because believing in this newborn child, man is justified not by himself, but by God. Truth has arisen from the earth because the word was made flesh and justice looked down from heaven because every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. How could there be peace on earth unless truth has arisen from the earth? That is, unless Christ were born of our flesh. And he is our peace who made the two into one that we might be men of goodwill sweetly linked by the bond of unity. What greater grace could God have made to dawn on us than to make his only son become the son of man so that a son of man might in his turn become the son of God. Ask if this were merited. Ask for its reason, for its justification, And see whether you will find any other answer but sheer grace. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.